Acts chapter 11. Uh, just a few verses in there. Acts chapter 11. I'd like to say some things about Mr. Murphy and just tie it into some things in the scriptures. Are we okay here? All right. I teach high school so I could talk fast and hold your attention. Don't worry. Acts chapter 11. Um, you know, in listening to all the testimonies and all the folks, things that folks have said both this morning and also on a, a Thursday evening, uh, one sentiment seemed to keep coming forth. It was said several times this morning, and it was said several times Thursday evening at the wake uh, that Mr. John Murphy, quote, he was a good man. It was said many a time, he was a good man, he was a good man, he was a good man, and I, and I, and I know he was. But in thinking about the scriptures and looking through God's word, there is a person in the Bible named Barnabas of whom the same thing was said. He is a good man. He was a good man. In Acts chapter 11, verse number 22, the Bible says this, Then tidings of these things came to the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. Much people was added unto the Lord. You know, and I was thinking about Mr. Murphy, and I was thinking about Barnabas, and I was thinking, we're both saying he's a good man, he's a good man, he's a good man. I was thinking, what do these good men have in common that would cause others to say he was a good man? And what can both Mr. Murphy and Barnabas teach us about being a good man that I think we'd all like to be? We'd all like it to be said of us in our last days, he was a good man. What can we learn from Mr. Murphy and what can we learn from Barnabas that might make you and me a good man? Let's just pray and then we'll say a few things from the scriptures and about Mr. Murphy. Lord, we love you today. We thank you. And Lord, we just pray your help today, Father. I know the time is late, but we pray that the minutes we spend in your word to be profitable and someone that doesn't know you as Savior, Lord, might just put aside all preconceptions, just hear what you have to say, And call upon Jesus Christ, the great man, the God man, to be their savior this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And thinking about Mr. Murphy and thinking about Barnabas, I was thinking maybe, maybe he was a good man because he sacrificed for others. You know, I was reading through the obituary and and talking to Mike, and I learned, as many of you know, that Mr. John Murphy went to work as just a, a young boy to provide for his family who was without a father. And I thought to myself, wow, I mean, today we got boys that don't provide for anybody, right? Boys that should be men and are still boys, you know, uh, living in the house, you know, mooching. And there's a guy that was just so young and so industrious and, and went ahead. And I was just so impressed by that. I read his obituary and heard the stories that he even joined the army. Why? To send his whole paycheck back to his mother and his sisters. And that's just, that's impressive. That's, that's commendable. And the Bible says in Psalm 112, a good man showeth favor and lendeth. A good man provides, a good man supplies, a good man gives to others. Mr. Murphy was like that. Many of you are like that. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. 
You know what a good man does? He starts setting some things aside so the people that come in his footsteps have a little something that they can have. You know what? Mr. Murphy was like that. I'm looking at a room full of people that are enjoying things that Mr. John Murphy laid aside and set aside so they can enjoy some measure of happiness and comfort and ease in this life. But if you look in the book of Acts chapter 4, I want to think about Barnabas. Acts chapter 4, verse number 33. The Bible says of Barnabas, that Barnabas was a good man because he was a giver. And it's hard to be called a good man if you're not a giver. Mr. Murphy was a giver. Barnabas was a giver. Acts chapter 4, verse 33, the Bible says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas was a good man. Barnabas actually sold his property so that others could have what they needed. And the Bible says in the book of Matthew, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. You know why Barnabas sold his most prized possession to bless others? Because that was just his heart. His heart was to be a blessing to the people around him. You know why Mr. Murphy could put a smile on your face? You know why Mr. Murphy could cheer you up and do things that he did? Because that was just his heart. He wanted to see others smile. He wanted to see others happy. He wanted to see others, you know, joyful together. Barnabas was like that. How many of you would be like that? How many of you would sell your house to help somebody else? I don't hear too many amens. I don't see too many volunteers. I don't see too many uh, house keys being dropped in the offering plate. But Barnabas was like that. You know why? Because Barnabas was a good man. And if you ever want to be called a good man or a great man, you've got to be willing to pour out your life for others. For others. Corey Ten Boom, who hid Jews during the Holocaust, wrote... The measure of a life, after all, is not in its duration, but its donation. And yes, Mr. Murphy lived a long life, 90 years young. But that's not what we remember. We remember the giving. And we don't know how, how old Barnabas was. We don't care, but we remember the giving. You know why? Go to Philippians chapter 2. Look at Philippians chapter 2. That giving heart that we commend, that giving heart that we look for and we esteem, that giving heart that makes us turn around and say he was a good man, that is just a shadow of the heart of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who was the greatest giver of all. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That was the heart of the greatest man, Jesus Christ. That was the heart of Barnabas following his Savior. Is that your heart today? 
if you want to ever be considered a good man. Go with me to Acts chapter 4 again. Let me tell you one other thing about Barnabas. And I think about Mr. Murphy as well. Acts chapter 4. Again, I'm hurrying. I'll get it all done. Don't worry. Trying not to be too animated because, as Mr. Murphy would say, I'm going to have a heart attack, but, you know, I'll be subdued. I'm very Italian, so I could launch off like a rocket ship from Cape Canaveral. But anyway... He was a good man because he sacrificed for others, but he was a good man because he sought for others. He just looked in on others. He just looked out for others. He just had others on his mind. You know, so many stories have been circulating about Mr. Murphy just taking others under his wing. And I was sitting there in that that funeral parlor on Thursday night, and I heard John uh, John San Giorgio talk about how Mr. Murphy showed him the ropes of of roofing and of life. I said, wow. I listened to his grandson David talk about how safe and special it was to be at grandpa's house. And if you've not read Mr. Murphy's obituary, it even says, quote, that his greatest joy came from time spent with family. Others. 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 The founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth, at the end of his life, sent a one-word telegram to inspire his people. And that one-word telegram had one word that read, others, others, others. So much of our lives are spent on the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. How much it is to be great like our Savior who could put others ahead of ourselves. Somebody said, the measure of a man's greatness is not the number of servants he has, but the number of people he serves. That's what greatness is. And Mike said it on Thursday night. He didn't even realize he said it, but he said at the wake, he said, my dad could have been a big shot in the world. But you know what? Instead, Mr. Murphy ended up being a big shot for all the people he loved, wasn't he? You're thinking he was the greatest guy in the world, and he was to you, and that's what he was. He could have been a big shot in the world, but because of the life and the love that he poured out into you, you know what? He was a big shot to you. And isn't that all that matters right now? That's all that matters right now. Acts chapter 4, verse 36. You know, Barnabas could have been a big shot. Acts chapter 4, verse 36. It says, And Joses, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. Barnabas could have been a big shot like the other apostles, but you know what he did? He put others first. He put, took others under his wing. He mentored people and put himself last that somebody else might be lifted up. The apostles even gave him a nickname. They named him Barnabas, which means consolation, which means encouragement. Is that how others see you? If somebody was to give you a surname, mine would probably be Big Fat Jerk. His was the one who encourages, the one who consoles. That was the heart of Barnabas. I wonder, is that you? Is that me? Because that's the heart of somebody that was said, he was a good man. He was a good man. He was a good man. Look at Acts chapter 9. Let me show you some things about this good man Barnabas from the Bible. Acts chapter 9. Now the apostle Paul, his name was Saul, he gets saved. He was a Christ killer. He was a Christian assassin and he comes to Christ and his life does a dramatic 180 and now he's trying to build up the church that he once destroyed. And you know what? He was a, people were a lot like us. 
If a guy that was trying to exterminate Christians walked in those back doors, we'd all be looking at him a little strange. We'd all be a little nervous. And when Saul, after he got saved, walked in those church house doors, you know what? There were family members that he had persecuted in the midst. There were family members that he might have hailed the people off to prison. There were loved ones that he might have actually helped orchestrate the deaths of some of those believers. And they're looking at this guy, Saul, and they're going, wait a minute, wait a minute. And they're looking at him with a strange eye. They're looking at him weird. They're reaching for their swords and their knives. I don't know what they were doing, but they were nervous. You know Barnabas wasn't nervous? The Bible says in Acts 9.26, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Can you blame them? He says, I just want to go to church. I just got saved. I just want to be around some Christians. And he walked in like singing Amazing Grace. And they said, whoa, back the truck up, Saul. <laughs> We're not sure if we could trust you. You might be undercover. You were so intent on killing Christians. You might be special ops right now. You might be some Call of Duty special ops guy. You're trying to whack us all. But it says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. When the brethren avoided Saul like the plague, Barnabas took him under his wing. I wonder, would there have been an apostle Paul, 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 if there hadn't first been a mentor like Barnabas? Who are the people in your lives that took you under their wing? You stand on the shoulders of great people. I stand on the shoulders of great men. I can list their names. Mel Sabaka, Michael Veach, Pat Dean, Bob Alexander. I stand on the shoulders of great men. And you stand on the shoulders of great men. Would you be who you are today if not for somebody like Barnabas? Look at Acts chapter 15. Let me show you one other thing. Acts chapter 15. Look at verse 36. Acts 15, 36, here's another incident with Barnabas. It says, And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord, and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. There was this apostle named John Mark, who had gotten cold feet and failed in the ministry and took off. You know what? Barnabas says, let's go find that guy, John Mark, again. Let's go give John Mark another chance. That was Barnabas. Even when John Mark failed in the ministry and the great apostle Paul, 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 was ready to kick him to the curb, Barnabas sought him out for a second chance. And at the end of Paul's life, guess who Paul's asking for? John. Bring John to me. You know why? Because somebody like Barnabas was willing to give him a second chance. How quick we are to condemn others and kick them to the curb. Not Barnabas. And I don't think Mr. Murphy either. Amen. He seemed like a man that was given to forgiveness, reconciliation, healing. May that be so in this place. Yeah. Barnabas truly was the son of consolation. You know why? Because he loved like the Savior loved us always given us a second chance, a third chance, 
157 chance, a 10,001 chance. Let's be real now. Jesus Christ is not just the God of second chances. He's the God of a million and one chances. His grace and his mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. And I love him for it today. I'm not ashamed to say I love a man named Jesus Christ today. Why? Because his mercies are new every morning and his compassions fail not. Go back to Acts 11. We'll go to Acts 11. I'm, I'm circling the wagons. And you're reading the menu in your mind. Acts 11.22. Acts 11.22. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. You know when those Christians in Jerusalem needed someone to seek out the brethren in Antioch? Guess who they chose? They chose Barnabas. They said, we need to send somebody out there to encourage those people, to exhort those people, to keep those people going for God. Who are we going to pick? Barnabas was at the front of the line. At the top of the list. Why? Because he was a man that was, a, was akin to seeking out others, to putting others first, to trying to build others up. So that's who they reached for. Do you have that testimony? That you care about others before yourself? Would anybody else consider you a good man? And finally, and very briefly, go to Mark chapter 10. Here's what I think it really was. Why anybody could be called by God a good man. We might call people good men. But look at Mark chapter 10, verse number 17. I like to say this in closing, that he was a good man because he trusted the Savior. He was a good man because he trusted Jesus Christ. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, the Bible says, And when he was gone forth into the way, meaning Jesus, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Now Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh, but he wanted to just clarify and correct something for this young man of what it really means to be good. I'm not just good because I'm a great teacher, he's saying. I'm not just good because I'm a miracle worker. I'm good because I'm God. And to be good means to be morally excellent. Morally superb. Perfect. Uncorrupted. Undamaged. And listen, while we may be good compared to each other, and while we may be good when we measure ourselves this way, when we measure ourselves against God Almighty, there is none good compared to God. Look at Romans chapter 3. Johnny stole my message, but I'll read these verses again. Romans chapter 3, I'll just read them again for you. Romans chapter 3, verse number 10. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. I'm an English teacher. I could break that sentence down for you. You know what it means? There's none righteous, no, not one. It's pretty simple, right? It's English. I, I, I could explain it for you later. I'll, I'll diagram the sentence for you. Uh, verse 12. They are all gone out of the way. 
They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Do I need to break that one down for you as well? You say, but I did this, but I did that. But come on, folks. We're always doing it. We're always working the angles when we're doing good. We're always doing good so maybe it'll appease somebody, get us somewhere in the world. You know what doing good to try to get to heaven is like? It's like cooking a meal. It's like somebody with Ebola cooking you a beautiful meal. This person's got Ebola. Their eyes are dripping blood. They've got this mortal disease unto death. And they cook this beautiful meal and they lay it out in front of you and they're like, look what I did for you. Isn't this great? And you're like, I don't want to touch that. I don't want to go anywhere near that. It's tainted. It's polluted. You got Ebola. I don't want to get sick. You know, we lay all this stuff out for God, whether it's church, whether it's good deeds, whether it's whatever we think will appease God. And God says, you're tainted with sin. I don't want any part of that. It's corrupted. It's polluted. It's, it's damaged. Verse 23 says, why? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You follow it? There's none righteous because nobody's really doing good because we've all come short of the glory of God. You say, what's the glory of God? His name is Jesus Christ. Have you hit it like he's hit it? Have you reached the bar like he's reached the bar? Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 6. What did God have to do because we missed that bar, because we missed that mark, because we've all come short? Romans 5, 6 says, for when we were yet without strength, some of you guys play basketball. Maybe some of you got some bunnies. You got some hops. You know what? If I said you had to jump 15 feet to get to heaven, now some of you might jump higher than me because I could basically jump the curb at this point. But you know what? None of you jumping 15 feet. Now some of you might jump a little higher. I point to my son. Then I jump, right? And some of you might jump a little less than the person next to you. But all have sinned and come short. You might be a better person than I am. I might be a better person than you are. But when God measures it this way, we all come short of the standard of the glory of God. And we don't have the strength to reach. See, I jumped. I did it, all right? <laughs> but you know what? It says in Romans 5, 6, For when we yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commanded his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Few would die for a good man. But Jesus Christ died for sinners. Would you die for your enemies? I wouldn't. Somebody comes and kills your kids. Would you die for that person? I wouldn't. I'd be reaching for my shotgun, right? But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and he let his son die on a cross for the ones that would kill him, crucify him, call for his blood. Romans 6.23 was read earlier, but I'm going to read it again. For the wages of sin is death. You've lied. You've lusted. You've taken things that aren't yours. You put other things ahead of God. All have sinned. I don't need to go through all ten commandments. But if I had to line up those ten canons, it would blow a hole in all your self-righteousness. You'd all look like sinners if I put you in front of the ten commandments. How many lies have you told in your life? How many times have you lusted after something? How many times have you taken God's name in vain? The Bible says these are sins. We've all come short. 
And God says the wages of sin is death. The death penalty is what I've, I've attributed to those who've sinned against me. And that's everybody. Like Danny said, 10 out of 10 people die because all have sinned. And God says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You and I have a choice. We can pay for our own sins or trust Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross to pay for our sins. That is the gospel. Now go back to Acts 11. I'm going to just flip you two more spots and then I'm going to pray and close. But why wouldn't you trust a man like that? Why wouldn't one of you not trust a Savior that would do that so selflessly? There's something wrong with you if you can't trust a man like that. You could call somebody else a good man, but why would you call Jesus Christ a good man who would lay down his life for you? We're not talking about joining a church or frequenting the doors or putting anything in the plate. We're talking about one thing, putting your faith in a finished sacrifice. That's what we're talking about. If God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What's your answer? Well, I did this. God's looking for one answer. Two words. Jesus Christ. I know if Mr. Murphy got up there, he wouldn't be talking about the fights at the pearly gates. He wouldn't be talking about, you know, uh, you know, whatever, you know, the music recitals that he always kept telling I did a good job at, even though I didn't do anything but announce the kids. You know, all those things that Mr. Murphy did. You know, what he, you know when he got the door, they said, hey, John, why should I let you into heaven? He'd have to say the only thing he said down here. Because all my sins are under the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what gets you in the door. And in Acts chapter 11, verse number 24, when God puts his stamp on why Barnabas was a good man, he says, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. Barnabas was a good man because he trusted Jesus Christ because he was full of faith. You know what somebody said one time? Faith is the willingness to risk anything on God. You willing to risk your soul on God? I'm letting it all ride on God. So how do you get into heaven, Pat? You're a jerk. I know, a big fat jerk. That's my surname. But you know why I'm getting to heaven? Not by works of righteousness, which I have done, but according to his mercy. And if what Jesus Christ did on the cross isn't enough to get me in, then I guess I'm going to hell. But I'm going to heaven not because of what I did, because of what he did. And faith is willing to risk anything on God. And if God said, you take my son, I'll take you, why wouldn't you trust Jesus Christ? Why wouldn't you take him? Why wouldn't you take him? God, you know what God loves? God loves faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. He's looking right now, he says, I don't care about your church attendance. I don't care about your background. I don't care about your past, your present, or your future. I'm looking for one thing. Do you have faith in what my son did on that cross? That's the gospel. And I think John Murphy was a good man in the eyes of God because he believed on Jesus Christ as the payment for his sins. That's what makes Mr. Murphy a good man in the eyes of God. And every time, like Mike joked, every time I asked that question at the end of a service, Mr. Murphy's hand shot up. He was not ashamed to say, I want to trust Jesus Christ. He was not ashamed to say, I need the mercy of Jesus Christ. He was not ashamed to say, I believe Jesus Christ is the Savior of my sins. Why would any of us be ashamed? Every time Mike spoke to his dad about his faith in Jesus Christ, especially in those last days, Mike would tell me, he would perk up. 
he would perk up. You right, brother? Even those last couple of days before he passed, he said, Dad, you know about Jesus Christ? And out of that stupor and that, that I'm Italian, that stunad, he'd just kind of wake up and he'd just perk up. Romans, we'll finish in Romans chapter 10. I want to read this to you. You say, you're getting a little excited. Oh, you haven't seen anything. But I'm excited about telling people that there's a Savior, that you could be with Mr. Murphy for eternity. And in Romans 10, verse 8, the Bible says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee. Salvation is so close. You think you've got to crawl on broken glass or something like that. And God says it's right in front of you. On a plate, table high, the cookies are right there. You could all get it. Rich, poor, black, white, whatever your background, God says, I put it right where you could all get it. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The only good way to heaven is through faith in his son's sacrifice. I've got two boys. If one of my sons or my daughter gave his life to cure you of a fatal disease. They laid their lives down, donated their body, let it be bruised and broken that they could use the blood in that body to produce a cure for a fatal disease you had. If I gave my son to do that, but you kept trying to heal yourself another way, can I really call you good? Can I really esteem you? Can I really hold you up? In other words... If you could earn it any other way, why did Jesus Christ die? That any plain for you? And as good a man as John Murphy was, he knew he was not good enough to get to heaven without Jesus Christ. Do you? How could God ever call you a good man if you reject what he let his son go through in your stead? You see, because whether we realize it or not, we call someone a good man. You know why? Because they remind us of God. Because they're just a shadow or an inkling of who God is. You say they sacrificed for others. Well, isn't that what God Almighty did for us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And when we see people give of themselves, we say, that's a good man. Why? Because it's a shadow of what God is like. You say, well, they sought for others. They took, under the, took others under their wing. Hey, isn't that how the Savior considers us? How he encourages us? How he lays down his life and takes us under his wing? And when we see somebody else do that and mentor somebody, we say, oh, that's a good man. Why? Because it's a glimmer of what God is like. Spurgeon said it is beyond the realm of possibilities that one has the ability to outgive God. See, this thing we're talking about of being good, it's not natural. It's not what we see in, the, in nature. 
We don't see, you know, the, the, the lions laying down their life for other lions. No, they kill and be killed. It's survival in the fittest in nature. It's something supernatural that makes you want to lay down your life for somebody else. It's something of God, not of this earth, that makes you want to put it down for somebody else to be lifted up. And every time we call someone else a good man, whether it's John Murphy, Barnabas, or your neighbor, we are recognizing how much we need God, how much we need somebody to lay themselves down that we might be better for it. You don't realize it, but every time you say that's a good man, you're admitting to yourselves that you need God. Because there's some quality in that person that reminds you of God, that is indicative of God, that you know you need. It's not natural. It's supernatural. We need God. We don't get saved. We don't get good to be saved. We get saved so God can make us good. So as we go to prayer here, I wonder, when they read your story, will anyone call you a good man? Will God call you a good man because he sees faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Thank you for your very kind attention. I know it's been a lot of speeches and messages and testimonies. But this right now, this, this 30 or 60 seconds, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, just a private moment between you and God.